We're in a series that's called Silent Killers. Just like there are killers on the outside, like asbestos or diabetes or cancer, there are, there are killers of our souls. And today might be the most sneaky of all of the silent killers, in my opinion. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14. If you don't have it on your Bible or in your phone or in a device, it's going to be up in the screen as well. And even before I jump into this, I, I'm going to pray, God, that you prepare hearts for what's about to happen. In Jesus' name. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. Say with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. This couldn't be more serious. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he, saw, he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I want to talk about the silent killer of bitterness. The silent killer of bitterness. God help. In Jesus' name, amen. So last year I was in a meeting with some other pastors uh, from around the country, and it was right after the Florida Gator LSU Tiger football game that had not turned out well for us. And some of the people that were in the meeting, they uh, began, I became the butt of their joke as they were uh, making it clear that I was on the losing end of the equation on that day. And they kept on kind of ribbing me and ribbing me. And then when I wanted to say something in the meeting room, they said, well, we just need to move on now. And I said, wait, this isn't fair. And they said, oh, you're just bitter. And I was like, well, I, yeah, maybe I was a little bitter. But the reality was when it comes to a football game, I, I graduated from the University of Florida and, and I love the Gators and there's a lot that's there. But the reality is I was able to shake it off. I let it go and I moved on. But if we're honest, and when I'm honest, there's some things that are not so easy to shake off, that are not so easy to let it go, and there's some things that are not easy to move on about. People can be brutal, and the wounds can go deep, and the pain can be real, and there's words that never should have been said that were said, and there are things that never should have been done that were done, and there are Wounds that never should have been inflicted on people that were. And there's betrayals that never should have taken place. And there's parents that never should have done what they did. And there's spouses that never should have done what they did. And there's people that should have done things that they did not. And, and when it happens, there's this, there's this temptation for bitterness. There's the tendency for bitterness. And unlike many other vices, bitterness is something that every single one of us that's listening to me now has known. Bitterness is an infection that arises in a soul from a wound where forgiveness has not been applied. I want to say that again because I'm going to be making a case that bitterness will kill you, like pneumonia can kill you, like COVID can kill you, like a disease can kill you, like a virus can kill you, like a bacteria can kill you, that this is indeed a silent killer. Bitterness is an infection of the soul that rises up where there's a wound when forgiveness has not been applied. Penicillin changed human history because infections that formerly killed people now don't because they could get knocked out 
with an antibiotic. But there is a reality about us that when bitterness enters the soul and it is not treated the right way, that bitterness can kill us. Bitterness has ruined marriages. Bitterness ruins children. Bitterness ruins workplaces. It ruins departments. It ruins teams. That when bitterness enters in, it destroys everywhere it goes. Here's the whole sermon in a nutshell today. It's this. Bitterness is the seed that leads to bondage. Forgiveness is the healing that leads to freedom. Bitterness is the seed that leads to bondage. I have over here some seeds. I have some seeds here. Bitterness is the seed, and it's small. It's, it starts so small. It starts so insignificant, and yet Scripture tells us that it leads to bondage. I was reading the story of a little boy that was visiting his grandparents' house, and they gave him his very first slingshot. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever used a slingshot, but they're very enjoyable things. But he kind of stunk at it. He wasn't very good at his slingshot, and so he was trying this thing out. Not much was happening. And so he would go out, and he would practice in the woods, but he was never hitting any of his targets. He would try it, but he would never hit any of his targets. He came back into his grandmother's yard, and he spied she had a pet duck. And he kind of couldn't help it. He was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm not very good at this anyway. Let me just take out my slingshot. Let me just go ahead and try. And so he took out his slingshot. He aimed at the duck. And this time he did not miss. And he killed his grandmother's beloved pet duck. Little boy panicked. He desperately started trying to take the dead duck. And he wanted to hide it among some of the wood pile that they had. And as he was hiding and covering up his transgression, he looked over and there was a little little smirk on his sister Sally's face who saw him hiding the duck, but she remained silent. Well, later that day, he went in and they were eating lunch with grandma, and when they did, grandma said to Sally, Sally, let's go wash the dishes, but Sally said, oh, grandma, Johnny told me he wants to help in the kitchen today. <laughs> Didn't you, Johnny? And then he whisp she whispered to Johnny and she said, hey, remember the duck. Johnny said, yes, I, I wanted to help in the kitchen, if I may. And so he did. Later, Grandpa had asked if the children wanted to go out fishing. And Grandma said, oh, I'm sorry, but I was going to need Sally now to kind of help do some other stuff, you know, and to, to help me make supper. And, and Sally smiled again, and she says, oh, that's all taken care of, Grandma. Johnny said he wants to stay back and not go fishing, even though that's his favorite thing to do. He wants to stay back and not go fishing. And again, she, remembered, she whispered to him, you, you better remember the duck. Johnny went ahead and went along with what Sally was saying, and he skipped the fishing while Sally went fishing. And this went on for several days of him doing all of her chores. He was doing his chores, Sally's chores, all these chores. And finally, he couldn't stand it any longer. He went to his grandmother, and he said, Grandma, I need to tell you something. Uh, I killed your duck. And I'm sorry. To which his grandmother said, I know, Johnny. And she gave him a hug. I was standing at the window when I saw you shoot and kill my duck. Because I love you, I forgave you the moment you did it. But I wondered how long you would let Sally make you a slave. Bitterness is, it's the seed that leads to bondage. It's the seed that... It gets planted in a heart, 
It gets planted in a life. And, and the problem is it looks so insignificant. You know, it looks like such a small thing. And it, and it seems so insignificant, which is why when we read Proverbs, or Hebrews 12, 14, where it says, strive for peace. This word strive, it's, it's a Greek word that was the same word that got used for a hunter pursuing his, his game. He was, pursue peace with everybody. It was a pursuit. Now, I, I'm letting you know this because I need you to understand one of the reasons that bitterness is such a silent killer is that bitterness right now is how you sell cars during commercials on CNN. Bitterness is how you sell advertisements on Fox News. Bitterness is how you build a tribe. Bitterness is how you write a book that becomes a bestseller because if you're trying to make peace, most people aren't paying to make peace. What most people are paying to make trouble or to make a point or, or to, when we say things like, I want to go make a difference, but let's just get really honest. Right now, like years ago, when, when I would talk to, when I was a youth pastor, you'd ask a middle schooler what they wanted to do when they grew up. A middle schooler would say something like, oh, I want to I wanna be a basketball player. I want to be an attorney. I want to be a doctor. Now I talk to middle schoolers. They say, I want to be an influencer. I want to go on TikTok and make a point. I want to, I want to go on Instagram and make a point. I want to go on, online and I want to go make points. And yet it's interesting that in, in an age where people seem to want to make points incessantly, God has said, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the sons and daughters of God. Church, we are called to make peace, and the Bible says here, pursue peace with everybody, not just with your tribe, not just with your race, not just with your ethnicity, not just with your Enneagram type, not just with the people that look just like you, not with people that go to the same church as you. Make peace with everybody. I mean, Christians, I, I just want to say this, and I know there's some people that here that are not followers of Jesus, and, and I'm so glad you're here, and you're so welcome in this place. But as Christians, can I just say to you, if anywhere on planet Earth must be the place where there are those that get past the seeds of bitterness and say, you know what, in a world of bitterness, we make peace. It's got to be in the church, because when we plant the seeds, I know it looks small, but it doesn't stay small. And when you plant a seed of bitterness... You can plant the seed and you can think you've got control. You can plant seeds. You cannot control where the branches of your bitterness go. You lose control. Once the seed is planted, you have lost control unless you uproot it. And this is as countercultural as could possibly be. That we're, we're in an age right now, we're bitter about having to wear masks, and we're bitter with people that won't wear masks. We're bitter about having to get vaccines, and we're bitter about people that don't want to get a vaccine. We're bitter with people that stole the election. We're bitter for people that, that uh, voted for Trump. And we're bitter with people that are Democrats, and we're bitter with people that aren't like us. And we're bitter with people that are Republicans, and we're bitter with people that aren't like us. And we're, we're bitter. We, it's a bitter, bitter age. You don't have to make peace with everyone to get elected. You've just got to make a point to enough of your people to go get elected. And bitterness sells. And bitterness makes a profit. And bitterness works unless you want the kingdom of God. Verse 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. This is a wild thought to me. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Just to be clear. All of the kingdom of heaven runs on grace. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We stand by grace. We move by grace. We grow by grace. There is no sin that is bigger than grace. Your past mistakes are not bigger than God's grace. God's grace, oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
There is nothing like the grace of God, nothing like the grace of God. And yet, the scripture says, see to it that no one fails to obtain it. You cannot earn God's grace, but you can block God's grace. How do you do that? We get the answer right here when he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and defiles many. That no root of bitterness springs up, sends out branches, causes trouble, and it spreads like gangrene to other people. Let me tell it to you in a parable form. There was a time in Matthew 18 when Jesus was with his disciples and Peter came to him and and said, Lord, how often should I forgive people that do me wrong? And he said, up to seven times a day because there were people that said maybe three times a day. I mean, imagine you needing to forgive someone seven times. And let's just play that out, by the way, just real quick. Imagine someone does something to you, they slap you across the face, and then they, oh, I'm sorry, and, and you forgive them once, and then twice, and then thrice, and then four times, so seven times a day. He says, up to seven times a day. Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven, to which they're like, what? 70 times, seven times in a day? See, what they don't understand and what bitter people don't understand is that when you're bitter, you don't get it. When you're bitter, you're becoming a slave. When you're bitter, you're a slave and you don't know. The worst kind of slavery is the slavery when you don't know it. The bondage that you don't recognize. So Jesus began, he told him a parable. He says there was, there, there was a guy that owed a king And he he mentions a number. He says 10,000 talents. And you can read this on your own time, but he mentions 10,000 talents. Now, number one, 10,000 was like the highest number that they would use in Greek. And a talent was the highest uh, unit of money that they had. A talent, 10,000 talents would have been right around 220,000 years of working. It would take someone 220,000 years of working to pay back 10,000 talents. That's how much debt this guy had. In today's terms, this would be somewhere between three and four billion dollars. Okay, it would take a laborer like this guy would have been 250,000 years to pay it back. When he was gonna have to settle accounts on the day of judgment with this king, he fell down on his face and he he said, oh king, I beg you, Be patient with me, have mercy on me, and I'll pay you back. Now, of course, it's ludicrous to think that you would pay back 220,000 years worth of wages, but the king had mercy because the king represents God. God is merciful. You've been made in the image of the God who is merciful. If you don't understand this, it's not going to make sense because you're not, you're only going to, it only makes sense when you get it that you thrive when you're living up to the nature of the God in whose image you were crafted. When you're merciful, you thrive, and when you're not, you don't. And, and he bowed down, and he said something ridiculous, I'll pay you back. And the king knew he could never pay him back. It's a ludicrous thought. But the king's like, you know what? You're a total idiot. You have no idea what you're talking about, but I forgive you anyway. And so he did. So this man goes from owing 220000 $4 billion, he's now free. By the way, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. There are some of you that need to remember again, Jesus has forgiven us for a lot. But, but the, the trouble was, he, he gets up and he goes out, and when he went out, he saw a guy that owed him some money. In fact, the guy owed him, it was about the, they tell us that it was in denarii, but the amount of money it was, it was significant. It was about three to four months' wages. That's not a small deal. Probably three or four thousand dollars 
and maybe $5,000 in, in today's dollars or whatever, but it was, it was, they, they said it was maybe two or three months. That's a big deal. If someone owes you two or three or four or five thousand dollars or two or three months wages, that would be a pretty big deal. It's not a small deal. And by the way, today's message is not going to make sense if you think what I'm telling you is that forgiveness means it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. I am not asking anybody today to act like it, it didn't matter or that it was nothing big. But what I need you to understand is when this guy owed him two or three months, five grand, and it's weird because when Jesus tells a story, there's an echo of what the man had previously said to the king. The man fell down before him now, and he begged him now, and he said, be patient with me now. Have mercy with me now, and I'll pay you back all of it. Now, by the way, there's no chance a guy that owes 220,000 years of anything is going to pay that back. That's ludicrous. It's a, there's actually a chance a guy that owes you three months could pay you back. And yet the script, Jesus says he, he took him by the throat and he brought him to the jailer and said, throw him in jail until he pays back every bit of it. But of course, some of the servants heard this story and they went back to the king and they said, remember the dude that you forgave 220,000 years worth of offense and debt? This guy just threw someone in jail. And then that's where I just will read you actually what Jesus says because in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says at the very end of this, he says, and the anger of the master delivered to, he delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt of 220,000 years. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. When I read this story, I'm thinking, what is going on with this man? Like, how could this man do that? And friends, do not miss this. How could a guy that's been forgiven $5 billion not forgive $5,000? How? And here's the answer. When you are bitter, you don't see clearly. When you're bitter, you minimize your stuff and you, you maximize other people. When you are bitter, I'm, what I'm telling you is you, you got to catch this because when we get bitter, we just want to go and, and we, we want to kind of go and, 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 and let everybody know or whatever. And, I, and again, we're in, the, we're in that moment. I get it. We're, on, we're on, in that age where you can immediately pick up your phone and let everybody know. All I'm telling you is this. When you're bitter, your vision stinks. When you're bitter, your perspective is lost. When you're bitter, you don't know what you're saying and you don't know how you sound. When you're bitter friends you're worse and bitterness is the seed that leads to bondage and that is the point friends anger is gonna come and wounds are gonna come and offenses are going to arise and things are going to take place and people are gonna stab you in the back and there are stuff that's gonna happen in marriage and there are things that your children are gonna do to you and there's things that your parents are gonna do to you and there's things that others are gonna do and when it happens what I'm telling you is in this pot is the potential for bitterness to spring up, cause trouble, and defile many. And I'm telling you, the sooner that you knock these things out, the better. Because when these are allowed to take root, or when the seeds are like, uh, because what happens is when, when I'm angry, when I'm resentful, when I'm offended, either for me and for other people. Man, you could be offended on behalf of other people. The offended heart grows bitter, 
and loses perspective and, and we don't see clearly. We can't tell the difference between 5 billion and 5,000. And, and we're not saying 5,000 is not a big deal. We're just saying like, whoa, you got to catch the perspective. And, and when, it's, when the seed is small, I'm, when I'm bitter, I feel, I feel a rage. I, I, I do feel this power that, that I'm tempted to just let it sit there. And then I want to go gossip about the person and I kind of pour some water on it, um, put a little fertilizer on it. I want to kind of go, you know, throw some shade on someone, not realizing that as the seed goes, down deeper and deeper and deeper. I'm telling you that when that takes place, bitterness is going to do something. And this is where it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Bitterness will do what nothing else will do. It will sabotage the grace of God in your life. It will sabotage, oh friends, I'm begging us. It will sabotage the grace of God in your marriage. What's a great marriage, Mike? Here's mar- you know, what, you know what you, how you make a great marriage? You go do the gospel on each other. You give each other grace and grace and grace. Mike, who should I marry? Marry the person you're ready to be merciful with and gracious with and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. But I want to marry someone that's hot. You know, sometimes the people that are hot, they're really not. I want to marry someone that's, oh my gosh, man, I, I need them. I don't know. You want to marry the person that you are willing that when the offenses, when they dump all over you, that you're going to say, you know what I'm going to do? I could be offended, but I'm going to take that seat out. And, you know, you said that. And I'm going to forgive that one. And I'm going to forgive that one. And I'm going to forgive that one and that one and that one and that one. Because if I just let this stuff sit here, it gets planted like a seed of bitterness. But the seeds of bitterness, when they take root, they lead to divorce. The seeds of bitterness, when they take root in a child, that's the child that never wants to come back for family reunions for the next 20 years because they despise their siblings because of the bitterness of the family that they get raised in. When bitterness is planted in the hearts of an employee or someone that works with someone else, that creates a toxic culture that, that makes businesses and, and workplaces just go horrible. And then, of course, as we see in just from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. When he, Lord, how should we pray? He says, oh, when you pray, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus actually told us that when we're asking for forgiveness, in the same sentence, Lord, forgive us our debts, comma, as we forgive, our, I'm not sure we do enough emphasizing of this. Like, I hear a lot of people emphasizing, if you need forgiveness, ask God. But the way God said to ask God is like this. Lord, forgive me of my debts as I forgive my debtors. As I forgive my debtors. Old rabbi was talking to a couple of brothers that that they, they got a chance that they, they were just always contentious. And the rabbi was talking to them and saying, you know, fellas, you guys need to pull this together. And, and, and they just couldn't pull it together. And he finally said, okay, I'm going to give you each a wish on behalf of your brother. Because they just could not, they would just go at it with each other. And so the one, he said, all right, did you both make your wish? And he said, yes, I both made our wishes. And so he turned to the one brother. He said, what was your wish for your brother? And he said, I wish for my brother whatever he wishes for me. To which his brother said, he always does this to me, Rabbi. I hate when he does this to me. That's going to be horrible for me. Because I wished horrible things for him. And yet Jesus says, our forgiveness drive upward is connected to our forgiveness drive horizontally. 
Your vertical forgiveness drive is connected to your horizontal forgiveness drive. It's just a law. It's like if you said, I really only want the head side of the quarter, but quarters always have a heads and a tails. I really want to follow God, and I just want to love God, but I don't want to love people. And what he says is, no, bitterness is the seed that leads to bondage. It's curious to me because he says in verse 16 that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Now, this is a funny story, an interesting story, because if you read the story of Esau, he's, he is sexually immoral. He dishonors his parents. And you can go back and read the story, of, of course, when he did. I mean, he, was, he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Like, he gave up to have two-thirds of inheritance because one day he was hungry. The brother had a lot of issues going on. And yet, when we're reading this passage right here, Hebrews 12 is giving us the commentary on the life of Esau, which was, where did Esau's stupidity come from? Where did Esau's fornication come from? Where did Esau's sexual morality come from? And according to the writer of Hebrews, the root, at the root, at the root, was bitterness. I think sometimes we're making mistakes. Like one of the men in the church was telling me recently that... uh, he had confessed porn to someone, and, and when he had confessed porn to someone, he was kind of holding him accountable or whatever, their response was, come on, man, you just got to stop doing that. Like, just stop looking at the porn. The problem is, of course, porn can become an addiction, but it's, it's not just that. It's that when all you deal with branches, when all you do is deal with branches and you never get to the root, you're going to have so many problems because according to Hebrews 12, Esau's problem wasn't his sexual immorality. Esau's problem wasn't just his financial stupidity. Esau's problem was that he was bitter. Friends, when you're bitter, you make bad choices. When you're bitter, you make bad trades. When you're bitter, you do bad things. When you're bitter, you are not better. You are much, much worse. When you're bitter, you become like the Esau that can't see the eternal for the temporal. That, that, that you can't, you're not realizing what you're, you don't realize when you're selling bowls. And I've heard so many sermons on wisdom that are like, don't sell your birthright for a bowl of stew. Let me give to the root of it though. If you plant seeds of bitterness in the soil of your heart and you don't uproot them, they're going to spring up, send out branches, and you'll spend the rest of your life chopping off branches, not realizing it's like that game. If you ever saw whack-a-mole, you hit little one mole down, kaboom, right, and then another one pops up. Then you get that one down, and another one pops up. When you don't deal with bitterness, there is a there is a plethora, there is a multitude, there is so many other branches ready to rise up. Bitterness is the seed of bondage that leads to death, ultimately. Nelson Mandela was imprisoned in a, in a jail cell in apartheid South Africa for 27 years, and he said this, as I walked out the door of that prison gate that led to my freedom finally, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. And, and let me say it to you, and I want to say this gently, but I want to say it clearly, friends. If you do not choose to forgive people, maybe even today, you will remain in a prison that will enslave you in ways that you do not even know. So that's the bad news, that bitterness is the seed that leads to bondage. Here's the good news. Forgiveness is the healing that leads to freedom. 
Forgiveness is the, the healing that leads to freedom. I was talking to a pastor a little while back, and he, was, he kept on throwing shade on, on another man of God. And he kept on saying, the, and I said, well, man, I, I get it. He did you wrong, but, bro, you need to forgive me. He says, oh, I have forgiven him. To which I said, then why do you still sound so bitter? And why are you talking to me when you got to go talk to him? And he's like, I, I guess I am bitter, aren't I? I'm like, yes. It's shaping everything you're doing in ministry right now. Your whole ministry is being shaded by the shade you're throwing on him. Because when you plant a seed and it sends out roots, what you don't realize is you are rooting yourself in the person who has wounded you. Forgiveness uproots the bitterness and sets you free. Forgiveness, let me tell you what it's not. Forgiveness is not easy. I'm not going to lie. I'm about to call us to forgive. And, and forgiveness is not easy. There's some of you that even right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will bring clear. Even some people that are in the room and they have forgotten bitterness that's there. There's an anger that's there. But even right now, I'm praying for the help. Help. Holy Spirit, help right now. Bring things back to remembrance that you're about to set people free from in Jesus' name. And by the way, I want to say this like a prophecy. There are some of you that are about to get free in Jesus' name. There are some of you that it's about to be like a load off your shoulders when you let some of this go. Because forgiveness is the healing. It's the healing. Forgiveness is not easy. I admit that. Forgiveness is not quick. Sometimes it takes multiple times. Forgiveness is not weakness. There are some of you that feel like you'd be weak if you're forgiving. You are not being weak. Forgiveness is not bypassing justice. God is just. God is the vindicator of all of those who have been wronged. And you need to know, you forgiving someone does not get someone off the hook. There are some people that have done you wrong. They are going to burn in hell. But you are not the one to send them there. And as long as you do, they're going to be dragging you along with them. Forgiveness is not weakness. It is not unjust. Forgiveness is not enabling abusers or oppressors. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is not forgetting about it. Forgiving is letting it go. That's what it is. Letting it go. Forgiveness means you're going to stop stalking them on Facebook. You're going to stop watching all of their Instagram stories. Oh, look at her. Oh, doesn't she look happy? That little immoral, ungodly Jezebel. Bless her, Lord. That former boss, stop stalking him on, this is where social media, some of y'all need to do like a social media fast just to get off your bitterness because you keep on being like, you're, you're looking at Instagram stories and you're like, yep, 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 yeah. And it does, it, there is an exhilaration when you're, when you're bitter. There is like this, yeah. You get to go slander them to other people. Like, it, it, you feel like, you know what? I know God said vengeance is mine, but we kind of want to see what we're not understanding is when we take vengeance, we're robbing God of what is rightly His. C.S. Lewis said this, because I, I, I found it, I've had people that I told I was going to be preaching about this, and they said, Mike, what, what, what does it look like to forgive? Let me tell you one of the things you need to know forgiveness is not a feeling, you don't have to feel. Forgiven or forgiving. Like, oh, how do you feel? Man, I feel like, man, I just feel like God right now. I'm just so forgiving at this moment. No, this is what C.S. Lewis says. Getting over a painful experience 
is much like crossing the monkey bars. At some point, you have to let go in order to move forward. So what does that look like? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you four, and I think it's worth writing these down. I'm going to give you four steps that I have found helpful. Um, I'm indebted to people like Lewis Smeads who wrote on this, um, Desmond Tutu, the, you know, the, the Anglican priest from South Africa. Um, I'm going to give you four thoughts on this. And the first thought of how you forgive is, number one, you've got to tell the story. You've got to tell the story. Sometimes I feel angry, and I can't quite put my finger on it. You, you need to tell your story. You need to, now by the way, I want to get clear on this. I don't mean you need to tell your story to all of your biased friends. That is not what I mean by this. When I was growing up, I had a biased mother. Thank God for biased mothers. I would come home with a C on a report card, and I'd say, man, mom, she'd say, whoa, Michael, what happened? You know, and I'd be like, oh, mom, and yeah, my, you know, the calculus teacher, she's like, oh, these idiot teachers in the public school system, they don't know how to teach a genius anymore. I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, let's go with that one, mom. Yeah. I was always right. Anybody that did me wrong, like my mom was the kind, and by the way, we need mothers in our life. We need mothers in our life. We need people that no matter what we've done, they're like, I am with you. No we need more moms in our life. But when, you, when you're looking, when you're telling your story only to your mom, that, that's not what I'm talking about here. Tell the story means you've got to get clear on, okay, what is it that happened? And by the way, before I even move on, I, I, wanna, I just want to give a qualifier. There are some of you that have been so hurt, and I am so sorry. There's some of you, it, like what I'm asking you to do today, I just want to let you know, I know this is hard. There's some of you that have been bitter for so long that it feels like part of you. And I need you to know that's not you. That death is not you. And I know it's hard. And I wish I could come and just wash your feet and say, if you've been wounded by a pastor, I repent for all of us pastors. If you've been wounded by a spiritual leader, I repent. We have, we have blown it. If you've been wounded by someone that had power and authority and they misused their power and authority, I am so sorry. If you've been wounded by someone that had influence in your life and they took advantage of that influence and they did things to you that they never should have done, I'm so sorry. If you've been wounded by men as a man, I repent kids in here, if you've been wounded by your parents, I have wounded my children. And on behalf of parents, I repent. But if you don't, if you don't choose to take these things out, you will be a slave. And I want you free. Number one, you've got to tell the story. You've got to get clear about what is it that actually happened. And I'm letting you know that because I, what I have found is as I've brought my story to God, and I, and I want to get real clear on this, there's been many times I have told my offended story to ten other people before I ever told God. And that's a problem. You can gossip to God and he can handle it. 
You can. Like, you're like, man, I just want to throw some shade on this person. You can. The, the Psalms are filled with David saying, God, look at my enemies. He's horrible. Crush his head. It's appropriate to talk to You can say that to God. Lord, let his insides go out. Let him be horrible. Let things go terrible for this guy. I love the fact that this, the Bible tells us it's okay to be like that with him. But not your friend that's already biased in your favor. Tell your story. Tell your story to you. Tell your story to God. Number two, name the fault. And again, I'm going to go back to Matthew 18 on this. Matthew 18 is just money. I mean, money is just priceless on this. Matthew 18, Jesus says in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him. If your boss sins against you, go and tell him. If your microchurch leader sins against you, go and tell him. If your spouse sins against you, go and tell him. If your brother sins against you, your sister sins against you, your wife sins against you, go and tell him, her, them, they. If someone sins against you, go and tell them. Now, I could stop right there. This is like as prophetic of a correction of current culture as anything. Go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. By the way, I have found that when I have sometimes had an offense against someone and I went and I slandered them to several other people, we don't call it slander, I would call it like putting up some prayer requests for my brother that's, <laughs> hey man, y'all be praying for Jimmy. And without saying it, you're like, Jimmy, the punk betrayer, worthless, don't even know if he's worthy of being a human, I would love it if he was... You know, whatever, all this, all that. We don't say that. We say it another way. Uh, could y'all just, be, I mean, let's just be praying for Jimmy. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, you know. And what I have found is when I did that, when I finally came around, because this is what I do sometimes. Like, I want to, like, live in my bitterness for a minute because it does feel exhilarating. And then when I go read Matthew 18 later, I'm like, oh, man, I got to go approach my brother now. And what I have found is this. It's actually pretty difficult to approach him when you've already told them. The problem is when you approach him one-on-one -on -one alone, I found him repents way quicker than when not only do I have the problem between me and him, but now we've got all the shade between him and them. It grows. It's literally what the writer says when you allow a root of bitterness, it springs up, causes trouble, and defiles many. You got to go tell him what is the fault, and then Jesus says, "If he if if he does not listen, so if he does not listen, so but Mike, I don't think that'll work. Great, if he does not listen, now take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses." Jesus gives us an answer. What if your boss won't listen? Bring some people with you. But Mike, I'm oh my my boss scares me. Like I, I get scared. Jesus still said, go and tell him. And then if that doesn't work, then you go to, this would be like an, a job place. Now go with HR as well, and now go talk to your boss. But that only works great when you've talked to him, when you've talked to her. You're upset with your sister at what she did at a family reunion, and so you tell your other siblings. That doesn't work. What works is when you tell her. Because now the bitterness doesn't get allowed to grow and get other people embittered as well. And now the offense spreads. And there's something about taking on the offenses of others 
when we become offendable like that, and then we, we, and what happens? It's what verse 15 says, and by it, many have cut off the grace of God. And then, of course, if they refuse to listen, tell it to the whole church. If they refuse there, you cast them out, basically. So there are things that happen, but you've got to name the fault. What? Okay, right now, there's some of you that are bitter. What is it? What is, what is it that has made you bitter? I was talking to a counselor one day, and I told a 20-minute story of how someone had done me wrong, and they got to the end, and they said, okay, Mike, I'm, I'm still not clear, because you clearly need to forgive them. What is it? What is the sin, or the word Jesus used? What is the actual fault? It's amazing how you can tell a 20-minute story, and you never named a fault. It's a good sign of bitterness. Because if you can name the fault, it's, hey, sister, when you mocked me in front of everybody else at the family reunion. I got so angry. I hate when you, when you throw me under the bus in front of everybody. Now you named the fault. And they could say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. When, when you tell that joke that you, you always want to tell that joke about me from, oh, from when we were in our early 20s and, oh, we make it all the, just, uh, when every, I know you keep, you've told that joke 30 times now. Do you think I'm enjoying that joke? Do you think I get great? I hate when you do that. Now the person can be like, oh my gosh, I had no clue. Please forgive me. I'll never do that again. Number one, tell the story. Two, name the fault. Number three, choose to forgive. What does that look like? It looks like this. God, I choose to forgive Johnny. God, I choose to forgive Ramon. God, I choose to forgive Shimmy Shushu. God, I choose to forgive Billy Bob. It can also sometimes be you tell the person himself, I forgive you. It's, those are powerful words that set people free a lot of times. I forgive you. Now, there's some of you, the person's not even alive, and you need to forgive them because you've still got roots in them, and now they're dead. And you need to be set free. And today's the day. And you could say, Mike, but I, what if I feel nothing? Oh, I'm not saying you will feel something. I would say the majority of the time I have forgiven, I did not feel anything immediately. I would make the choice, and my feelings were like a caboose. And sometimes the train was so long, it took like two weeks before the caboose came along, and I finally felt like I got my breath back. But when I make the choice to say, God, I forgive them, and like a, a bar on the monkey bars, I let it go. And let me make this clear. Henry Cloud says, safe people are forgiving people. We talk a lot about people who offend us as being unsafe, but you can also say the same thing about the unforgiving person. Unforgiving people are unsafe. Safe people forgive, which is why Jesus is the safest person in the universe, because he's the most forgiving person. Today, there might be some of you that before you leave this room, you need to just let it go. And then finally, number four, possible, and I'm putting that clear, possible reconciliation. This is not a guaranteed, possible. Jesus forgave me 2,000 years ago. I got reconciled to Jesus when I repented 20-something years ago. It's good. You, for, you need to forgive someone before they even asked. I will be honest. I do not think there's reconciliation truly until the person has repented. 
This, so I need you to also understand there's some of you that forgive people. They do not need to come back in your life. You do not need to ever live with them again. They do not need to come back in your house. You do not need to let your kids be babysat by them. There are people that you need to let them go, and you are going to let it go, let it go, and just you're going to let it go and go and go, right? So I want you to understand there is reconciliation as a possibility, but forgiveness does not mean you have to be best friends again. Forgiveness does not mean that you're going to each other's parties again. That is not what it means. It may mean that there may be reconciliation. That's beautiful. But I need you to know that they need to repent. They just might need to repent. But you need to forgive. Let me, let me end it like this. In the, in the wilderness, the children of Israel were, they, they were thirsty and they, they were in the desert and they didn't have water. And they came to this, these waters of Marah. They called them the waters of Marah because the water was bitter. And when they drank the water, it was bitter and it was making them sick. And that's what happens is that when you leave these things in there and you don't take these out, it, it's going to make you sick. It's, it, it's bondage. And, and Moses said, God, what do we do? And God pointed to a tree and there was this tree. He says, take this tree and throw it into the water. And it was a miracle that when they took the tree and applied it to the bitter waters, somehow the tree made the bitter water sweet. Without knowing it, Moses was preaching the gospel because one day, thousands of years later, Jesus Christ would go up on a tree. And I don't know how to explain what he does, but when you apply the tree of the cross of Jesus Christ to the bitter waters of your life, the bitter waters become sweet. This is why the Bible never says just forgive. It says forgive as God forgave you on the cross. When you forgive, you are applying the cross. When you forgive, the cross is going to do its work. The cross does its magic. I don't know how he does it, but there's some way that the cross reaches in and says, no more. I don't even know where all this stuff is, but it reaches in and says, there will be nothing left in here but life. Jesus, this is my heart. This is my life, and I am now free in Jesus' name. If you need to forgive somebody today, I, I want you to do it today. I don't want you to let the sun go down on your wrath. But I'm going to end it like this. Some of you have had a hard time being forgiven because you haven't yet been forgiven. There was a man that went to jail. Billy Graham tells a story. The man goes to jail, tells his wife before he goes, listen, you don't even need to, don't, don't worry about me. It was going to be months and months later. He says, we won't even talk. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave you alone. And, and when I get out, I'm going to understand if you've moved on. And she, he made life so hard for his wife and kids. And he says, I'm going to get on a bus. I'm going to drive through town. And there's a big oak tree as you come into town near the, near the bus station. And when I come in, if, if, you, if you've just moved on, just don't do anything. But if you are willing to somehow find it in your heart to forgive me, I want you to tie a yellow ribbon around that oak tree. So he gets out of prison and he gets onto a bus. He tells all the people what's going on, some six young people there in particular that were kind of with him, like, oh my gosh. And he's like, I, I can't even bear to look. And they were sitting on the front of the bus, and he was sort of toward the back, and as they made the turn to go on the street that was going to lead to his bus station in his city with his wife and his kids, he couldn't even look as he puts his head down, and all of a sudden he begins to hear the gasps of the people as when they looked, there was not a ribbon, not one ribbon on the oak tree, but a hundred ribbons all over this oak tree because the wife and children were waiting to let him know you are forgiven you are forgiven you are forgiven 
Listen to Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You are forgiven. You are free. The billions that you would have owed God, the debt has been canceled. You're free. And who the sun sets free is free indeed.